Welcome out there, rock and rollers, to another episode of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded right here in central London, just off Abbey Road. We thank you for tuning in lately, and we're up to episode number 27 here, where we're going to go back to our hard rock roots and focus on a band that everybody knows, everybody has at least one album of. That's ACDC, the rockers from Down Under, who spawned about the greatest selling album of all time, Back in Black, in 1980, following the death of original lead singer Bon Scott, who was, of course, replaced by his friend from Geordie, Brian Johnson. And despite their loss, they were able to record one of the greatest selling albums of all time. I think Michael Jackson's Thriller is the only one that ever sold more. Today, we're going to talk about an album that came out in 1992. Jackson and I lived together, and that's ACDC Live. Now, until that time, there was no live album with Brian Johnson at the helm, and there was no greatest hits album. So you couldn't get all of ACDC DC's best songs in one compilation. You certainly couldn't get Bon Scott era songs and Brian Johnson era songs in one place. So when ACDC Live came out, it was a big deal. And another thing that was pretty cool about this release is there were two different releases. There was the regular one-disc set, which is about 70, 74 minutes long. And then they had a collector's edition two-disc long box form. Like, people in the 80s and 90s remember buying their CDs in long box form. There would be a long, about the height of an LP, cardboard box that a CD would come in. The jewel box and the CD itself would be about 40% of that box. Well, this was a long form box with two CDs in it. So you basically got the whole show compiled over many different concerts and some souvenirs. It's kind of the first time I remember that happening. Now, of course, it's standard issue. You have to have a regular one CD issue a double CD deluxe issue, a super deluxe with extras and LPs and a big book and extraordinary expense. But back then it wasn't really the case. So you're hitting the hardcore fans who want that double disc and it went double platinum in the United States. Uh, And then you hit the average fan or the the kind of common fan who just wants the one disc version. Of course, discs were expensive back then and that hit three million in sales in the United States alone too. We had not seen ACDC at that point and it was a big deal for us to not only hear Thunder Struck, which was the big hit at the time. It had been a big hit when we were in high school and I had the Razor's Edge. But it was great to hear all the old stuff, the Bon Scott stuff, done by Brian Johnson. And just to have one collection of all their greatest hits. And to this day, they still don't have a greatest hits album. Now, as usual, you want to hear about all our old episodes, go to www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. And you can check out all the episodes. Of course, you can download and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, anywhere you get your podcasts. And please let us know what you want to know about, what questions you have about the episodes, or what bands and records you want to hear about. You can follow us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. So get on your English schoolboy outfits and get ready to rock and roll with ACDC here on The Wolf. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. So I remember when ACDC Live came out our sophomore year of college and how excited I was because there was no, and in fact, to date, there is no ACDC Greatest Hits album. There's never been a collection of like, hear all the great Bon Scott era tunes and hear all the great Brian Johnson era tunes. There just there just weren't. And there had not been a, a, a big live album from ACDC since if you want blood, you've got it in the late 70s in the Bon Scott era. So growing up for us, obviously Back in Black was the big one. They continued to make records through the 80s. Some of them were decent. They kind of went through a slump, in my opinion, in the mid 80s uh, and, and weren't doing their best, although they were still touring well. And they would usually have one song that was pretty good. But obviously the Razor's Edge was huge, came out when we were in high school, big time return to form put them back on top, and then they have the opportunity to do a huge tour where they get to headline big shows like Donington and stadiums and stuff like that again. Not that they necessarily weren't, but they were big time on everybody's radar again after their sales had slumped through the 80s. And then the live album gave you the opportunity to say, hey, finally we get their best all in one place, right? It's not a greatest hits album. And obviously they don't have Bond singing on any of these songs, but they have Bond songs on there. So it gave a, a chance for folks like us who are maybe a little too young to pick up the Bond Scott era stuff in the 70s, at least a chance to to hear how Brian Johnson sings them. And I got to tell you, I thought he did a great job. It's one of those deals where, like we were talking on our previous episode about Asia, where you bring somebody in who's kind of the same and they're just doing an impression. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, Brian Johnson does it. He fit in perfectly. He's just he's just far enough away from Bond Scott where it works but yet he can still sing the Bon Scott songs very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably the biggest thing is that his first record, Back in Black, was a monster hit. So he immediately cemented himself as the new guy in the band. They did put out, in 1986, they put out Who Made Who, right. which was kind of a greatest hit. But it also was kind of not very good because it didn't have the big tracks on there. So it was like, I don't know what you're doing. So you're correct. This was the first time you had a kind of a definitive collection of ACDC's greatest hits. 
And you were talking about them. This is the crazy part about ACDC. You were talking about them falling off in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I don't really remember anything past or after Hell's, uh, not Hell's Bells, uh, For Those About to Rock. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then Who Made Who was a pretty big hit. But yeah. Uh, but then they all sold over a million copies. So people love this band. They will buy anything that ACDC puts out. But in 1991, I was minding my own business, listening to my uh, radio. And my old buddy, Mike Lapatino mm-hmm. from 99 Rock WPLR in New Haven broke into a song. I don't even remember what the song was. It might have been Phil Collins. Sorry, Phil. And said, ACDC has a new record out. It's called The Razor's Edge. This is the first uh, single, Thunderstruck. And he played it and it was awesome. And then at the end, he said, I'm playing that again. And they did it again. <laughs> it was a huge record. And this concert at the the... Donington Festival, which happens every year, was massive, and they were the headliners. They were back, and actually, if you could, this is definitely one of the things on my time machine, time machine list of things to do is to go back to this show, because it was ACDC for the Razor's Edge, Mm -hmm. Metallica for the Black Album, Motley Crue for Dr. Feelgood, and I think it was Queensryche for Empire. So, I mean, there's no, like, I never heard of Rotting Corpse of Death. Mm. It's all big bands and all with huge records in 1991. So yeah, this this was fantastic. We listened to it a million times, and and it was it was just enough of the new stuff and the old stuff to give you, like you said, not a greatest hits really, but yes, a greatest hits. Yeah, you know, and you bring up a good point. Touring on a big record makes a huge difference in the show. If if ACDC had come out with Razor's Edge and it didn't have Thunderstruck and it didn't have Money Talks and it didn't have Are You Ready and some of the hits that came off of there, ACDC still has an incredible catalog that could have played a couple of songs off the new record. And maybe those are songs where you go get a beer, go to the bathroom or something like that. But then yeah. the rest of the show is killer. But what can obviously make a live album huge and all that much better is the album you're touring on at the time is a classic, is awesome. And those songs fit in great with your classic catalog because everybody should play four or five songs off their new record, right? I mean, you know, it doesn't matter if you've already made 20 records. And I think at this time that was about their ninth or 10th. Everyone should should be able to do four or so songs off their new record because you've been working on it. You're an artist. You want to incorporate that into the set, show people what you're up to. So if the four songs are kind of weak, that could make for a weak show or a weak live album. But because The Razor's Edge was a huge return to form, uh, and I had it on cassette so I could play it in my car. Uh, because like you, when I first heard Thunderstruck, and I may have just first seen the video. And of course, at that time, I was huge into Eddie Van Halen and, and so glad Van Halen were on top of the world and, you know, we're making new records and, and still touring well. But to hear that opening of Thunderstruck from Angus when he's just kind of tapping and picking off uh, at the beginning, I'm like, whoa, that's unbelievable, man. I didn't know anyone could do that, you know, because it wasn't, I mean, Van Halen taps, but he doesn't pick off all the time like that. It was it was amazing. It was it was new and it was cool. It sounds like he's playing a thousand notes at a time. If you watch the video, there's a they've got a camera on the neck, so he you can see him playing it. And then you've got Malcolm just doing those disgusting power chords in the back. And the other cool thing that I really liked was when you're rich, you can do whatever you want. So mm-hmm. they had this giant drum rig with Chris Slade playing and he had two extra bass drums mm-hmm. on each side of him so he could really you know boom boom yeah it was fantastic with his hands that's right Correct. you know we yeah. kind of keep him next to his head instead of hitting yes. him with his feet boom boom and it made yeah. for a killer visual 
And yeah. it, was it was it kind of like a? It was like like they're in Thunderdome. It was like a Mad Max almost kind of oh, scene. Oh yeah, yeah, there. yeah. There was like pe- there were people like a different like you know five levels of people pressed up against like this chain link fence. Yeah, it was a fantastic deal. And it's one of those songs too where it comes on and you know exactly what it is. You're not like which one is it? No, you know it. And then you're just you like you said you're in your car and you're just you're not even realizing you're doing thunder. <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with that person, that car over there? You be quiet. I'm rocking out over here. Thunderstruck's on. What's wrong with you, man? (laughs) No, I'm not turning it down, and I'm not rolling my windows up. And it's kind of become a cliche, as a lot of big, huge songs do. They play it at a stadium during a a game or something like that to get the crowd amped up. But I remember we did a pepper rally for our basketball team our senior year for, like, the whole school to get the little kids into it. Because I went to a K-12 school. And, and this was like the biggest basketball team we'd ever had. We're playing in a special Louisville Invitational Tournament where like Ballard went. What? Where like Ballard's like where Allen Houston played and, you know, the New York Knicks and like top-notch Division One talent went through Ballard and a lot of the big high schools. And so that's who it was for. It's for Ballard and, and the, the big-time schools. And I went to, a you know, a, a private school with a bunch of scrawny white kids. So they'd never played in the LIT before. But, you know, now the school was proud of us, even though they hated us as individuals. We were doing very well on the basketball team. So they said, all right, we're going to do a pepper rally. And they needed some music to come out to. It's like, Mac, what do you got? And I'm like, well, I got this new ACDC album, man. It's pretty (laughs) awesome. So we did. We came out to Thunderstruck and let them go "Ah," and get it going. And then we ran out there. We let our two best guys go out and dunk. To, to start it off, we did the first two songs, and second one being Fire Your Guns, and then they had me come out and speak to the school, and I don't remember what I said, but then I was kind of looking around, because nobody told me what to do. So we did two songs, I'm like, okay, we're going to do one more song for you, and then we're going to get out of here. You know, like I was in the band, like, all right, here's the encore. So we did Money Talks, and then we walked. Yeah, just, yeah, just cue the next one, let's go. <laughs> But so now if you say, oh, you did a pep rally, would you come out to you? Thunderstruck? Oh, well, that's cheesy. I'm like, well, at the time, it was groundbreaking. It's cheesy Correct. for you to do it now. I would say that I started this whole thing, so you're welcome. Yeah, ACDC probably owes me something for that. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was a great album, great return to form. And I didn't get to see them on that tour. But I worked a weird job. Again, in our school, the last two weeks of your senior year, they know you're just goofing off. So like, instead of having the seniors, especially us, around school, like, you know, pulling the junior out of class and pulling like the, you know, causing havoc and doing stuff in the parking lot, like, let's go make them get internships. Let's go make them get fake jobs off campus. They're out of our hair. We'll say it's some kind of real life experience nonsense. We'll make them present something afterwards. And I was working at a like a, a catalog studio where they took shots of products to put in catalogs and stuff like that. One of the guys who I worked with was a pretty big, I don't know if he's a metalhead, but he, he was a big rocker and he was going to see ACDC. Now why I didn't say, hey, let me figure out a way to get a ticket or two and go to the show. I don't know. I Maybe I just wasn't that smart back then, but I'm like, all right, I can't go to the show or I wasn't thinking I could. But I gave him some money to get me a t-shirt. I said, just get me something with the dates on the back. And he did. But when they do money talks, 
they had these Angus dollars that they would drop out of the sky. Okay. And he plucked a few of them and he gave me one of them. And I've got it in the scrapbook to this day, even though I didn't get to go to that show. It's a treasured part of my collection. Now, we have the single, there's two versions of ACDC Live. There's the single disc version, which is what we got. There's also the double disc collector's version. And in that collector's version, you did get an Angus buck. And so our friend Rob, uh, who was a huge ACDC fan, I think I actually made a bet with him. Like, I'm going to get ACDC Live before you will. He's like, oh, no, I'm going to get it before you. Trust me. He's a huge ACDC fan. They're easily his all-time favorite band. And he did. He got up in the morning, waited outside the store till it opened, got the collector's edition, then phoned me to say, I already got it and you don't. That's what fans do. But unfortunately, back in 1992, that was a big decision to make because, again, we've talked about this before, eh, that's a lot of money, uh, the one to the two disker. It was actually kind of cool that they did that because a lot of people probably couldn't have afforded the two disker. Mm-hmm. So the number, so, so the single one, while it was not everything, it's still, I mean, it's got 14 tracks on it. It's pretty cool. But yes, for somebody like Rob, who is needs to get the whole thing, it's, it, that's pretty cool, too, because it gives you extra stuff. The other kind of cool thing, too, about this, now that I'm looking at the, the set list, it's not all from Donington. Right. So that's kind of cool because you could say, I didn't go to Donington, but I was at, let's see, NEC Birmingham, England. I saw that show. So that was the one that I was at. So that's kind of a cool thing, too. I know Iron Maiden does that on a couple of their live discs where it's a, they do it from, that's not all the same show. It's different ones throughout the tour. And that's, that's that's a good idea, right? You pick the best of the best. Whatever's, you know, you may not be quite on one night. Maybe one mic is off one night. Maybe the crowd's not into it or something one night. So you take the best of the best. And, and that's what I had to do because I did watch the video live at Donington to kind of warm up for this because it had been a while. Yeah. And I just, I remember it, it sounds different than the record. I'm like, well, yeah, that's because they're taking stuff. They did two nights in Birmingham. Some of those they got from an airfield in Russia. You know, there's some stuff they got from from Canada, you know, uh, at a different part of the tour. So yeah, take the best of the best and, and meld it all together into one awesome package for sure. Yeah, but I mean, you're right. I mean, it was like 30 bucks. And when you're a student, 30 bucks, which in today's money has got to be $75, something like yeah. that for two discs. That's a, that's a big commitment. And I like ACDC, but I, you know, at that point I had zero ACDC discs. You know, I had one back in black that I taped on a blank cassette on half of a blank cassette. And then I had one, the Razor's Edge, which I had bought on cassette because, you know, the cassette was only eight bucks, whereas the CD was 15. And if I only liked Thunderstruck, which is kind of, you know, I bought it before the others came out. Mm -hmm. If I only like Thunderstruck, eh, well, maybe I don't want to spend all that on a CD, you know. So nowadays, of course, it's a no brainer. You know, if they had a five disc version, I'd buy it. Correct. Correct. But a lot of times, too, I think this was this was also kind of the first the beginning part of the putting CDs out that they were relatively inexpensive. And so they could, you could do something like this. Whereas before, I mean, the one disc would have been 50 bucks and nobody would have bought it at all. So it was kind of that first foray into, we'll give you a couple of different packages here. And, and like I said, kudos to the band, because had it just been the two disc set, we probably wouldn't have had it at all. We had to go like, listen to, you know, beg Rob to listen to it. Oh, right. And then he would have yeah. been a jerk about it. It's been like, you and I would go in together on it, you know, 
yeah. you get one and I get the other, and then you know we move away from each other at the end of the year. I'm like, well, who gets disc one and who gets disc two? You know, that'd be I mean, a who fight. Who got the Angus buck? That yeah. would have been the big thing. Yeah, that would have been. Although since I had one, I would probably let you <laughs> had that. But then I would be like, all right, but I get to pick which disc I want, right? So, oh, you know. And the other great thing about the two discs is, I mean, the first one, the one disker has, I think, about five of the 14 songs are Bon Scott era songs. But the second one, it's more even. It, it's like 10 or 11 of the 23 total songs represent the Bon Scott era. And honestly, I really don't understand why at this point they haven't done like a best of both worlds, greatest hits disc set, you know, where one is Bon stuff and the other is Brian Johnson. Or, you know, you could do more than that. I know that hardcore ACDC fans will tell you there's there's a lot more than just two discs worth of greatest hits. And even the ones in the 80s that we don't necessarily like a whole lot, like Flick the Switch, Fly on the Wall, Blow Up Your Video. You know, some people will swear up and down that there's awesome songs on all those. You know, it's ACDC. And it is always going to be good to a degree, but it just, it didn't strike in the heart the way a lot of the old Bon Scott stuff did. And then, of course, Back in Black was enormous. And for those about to rock. I think the, I don't want to say problem, but I think the issue is that they've sold, I think, in excess of like 200 million records. And so I'm probably thinking they don't care. <laughs> like, we know you're going to buy our stuff. So why should I? But that would be a great idea. Just kind of as even just as fan service. But it, it's it, it, like I said, it's it's insane to me to think that even those records that you were talking about, Flick the Switch and Fly on the Wall, they still sold a ton of copies. This band has got the secret sauce figured out. And that's always kind of been the dig against ACD. It's like, oh, it's so easy. Well, they just play easy songs. Okay, first of all, I don't think that's true. That's I think true. I think if you get into it, that's not true. And then the second thing is, if it's so easy, why didn't you do it? Right. How come nobody else does it? And, you know, there's a band Correct. called Airborne, and I believe they're from Australia. And they're pretty good. They sound a lot like ACDC. And they haven't sold nearly as many copies, you know. And Back in Black, I think, in, like, in the world, the albums that have sold more than Back in Black... Or like Michael Jackson's Thriller, and that's the list. Yeah, and, that, and in the America, I think it's like Thriller, Eagles Greatest Hits Volume One, maybe Hotel California. But yeah, I mean worldwide, you can't you can't have a bigger hit than that. Metallica's Black Album would love to sell as many as Back in Black. Yeah. And, and uh, I remember I was having a conversation with somebody one time, and, and it was one of those, like, well, who doesn't have Back in Black? How how can they still sell copies? And the, I can't remember who it was, but the other person was like, you have to understand that every year there's a new crop of 14-year-old boys. That's right. and that, Or 15 or whatever, and you say, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. Because you could listen to this record, Back in Black, and pick up your guitar and put something out that sounds relatively like that pretty easily. You're not going to put out the yes stuff. You're not going to put out King Crimson mm -hmm. in two seconds. ACDC, you learn a couple of chords. You can at least say, hey, huh, I can play this. So I think I think it strikes a chord with people everywhere. I mean, I've seen interviews with Angus Young's guitar tech, and he doesn't have any effects. Mm -hmm. He has the wireless and the Marshall amps, and that's it. He's got two guitars. Number one, mm -hmm. and if it breaks, there's a number two, but only long enough to get number one back on uh, back on uh, in service. Back online, again. yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, you see some of these guys, they have, oh, I have 28 guitars that I could, nope, one and two, and that's it. And I think the one that the guy was showing us, it was from one of the tours not too long ago, and it was the same guitar that he recorded back in Blackett. Like, the dude is just, I like what I like, and that's it. Don't mess with it. Don't change it. Nothing. And he and Malcolm are tiny little guys, because you can see how big those guitars are on them. Look how big that SG is on Angus. You know, he looks like a little kid because he kind of is i mean are they five foot six do they weigh 130 pounds i don't know if either of those are true and obviously they've never really changed their outfits i mean angus is more the schoolboy outfit all those years brian johnson where's the hat where's the wife beater and jeans cliff is back there in a wife beater and jeans malcolm's back there in a t-shirt and jeans and then whichever drummer they've got is, is behind the kit the show is angus and brian johnson at this point right angus is running around crazy Brian Johnson's out there screaming and singing, maybe jumping on the big bell during Hell's Bells, but it's all about Angus running around like a tornado. And it was it was kind of cool too because when Brian Johnson had his health issues, I think it was on the last tour, and Axel Rose came in to fill in and do a couple. I saw a couple videos of that, and they said it's insane to watch that because even Axel Rose knows when it's time to just step back, Mm -hmm. step out, and let Angus do his thing, run around and be crazy. Like, it's his show. And even somebody like that, you you realize how it goes. But the cool part is that everybody else in the band, they know that. Mm -hmm. There is no, like, I mean, like... Uh, you know, Malcolm Young's thing was he didn't even have a wireless. He just had a cord into the into the Gresh that he played. He took out two pickups. I don't need two pickups. I only need one pickup. Right. He stands in front of the ri- He stands in front of the drum riser. Takes his three steps up. Sings the background. Takes three steps back. And I was watching an interview with Scott Ian from Anthrax, and he was saying, "If you think that's easy, you're wrong because." The way that he plays those chords, like he is digging into the guitar. Mm-hmm. And Stevie Young said, who took over for him now, who's their nephew, but he's only like two years younger than <laughs> yes. Malcolm because yeah. I think the older brother was born a long time ago. But anyway, he's got these giant picks, like these thick, like mm. the thickest pick. And he's like, they just get worn down to nothing. They don't break. You just wear them down like a nub because you're just, you're just hammering this guitar to play these chords. And the cool part about it is when you listen to them, okay, if you're in the rhythm section of ACDC, your mistakes, not going to happen. Right. Like a metronome. Everything has to be perfect so that he can go out there and run all over the place and do the three stooges, you know, laying on the ground, running around. That's what that's what you're there for. You're there to put that, to showcase him. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, and I used to say, I still kind of do, like Cliff Williams, the bass player, has the greatest job in rock and roll because uh, you don't have to be Chris Squire to play in ACDC. You don't have to know all these amazing different chord key changes and signatures and stuff like that. And you you sit in front of your amps, just plug it away. You take four steps up to the microphone to sing TNT or whatever it might be. You turn around, you walk back, and then you you know you're you're doing the same thing again. And then when Angus is running around up top doing his little stripper dance or whatever he's doing, you know, kind of thing, then he knows that it's time I can break out of smoke. I got Two and a half, three minutes here. I'll just have a smoke. I'll chill out and wait till the next one starts up. But you're right in that 
You can't miss. You can't be off. You can't be a half step behind. There is a, a rhythm to this that has to be maintained. And yes, Angus starts the songs and he finishes the songs. When he runs up and jumps, then you know yeah. it's time to, to end that one. Um, he's in charge of all that. But in the meantime, you have to be on. And whether it's Phil Rudd or in this case, it was Chris Slade, who was awesome, a great addition to them and, and great visually for them. Like you say, those two big bass drums he could hit with his hands made for a cool video and makes makes for a cool visual during the show this may have been the best live incarnation of acdc minus minus the bond scott years in the last 40 years this that may have been the best live version of that and and uh, chris slade was cool too because that was before like bald guys started <laughs> to become so he was like this weird like well you said everybody else was tiny so he would look big regardless right but yeah just this who is this guy this totally bald-headed dude just beating these drums yeah, and it, I mean the sound on it, and that's a whole other thing you can go into as far as like how live is this record really? It sounds fantastic though. That's that's to, to me that's the bottom line. And yeah, to to see them live and then go into the you know for those about to rock when they pull out the you know the guns come mm-hmm. out from oh, the yeah. uh, back of the stage, and I can only I mean you said you didn't see the show. I didn't see the show either, but I can only imagine when that happens, like your head. It's just like my head's going to explode. Like I can't take this anymore. Like you feel the pressure in your chest. You do, you do. Because I have seen them three times. I saw them twice on Ball Breaker. Once with I think in Daytona Ocean Center, maybe like where we saw uh, Kiss or something like that. <laughs> and then I, I saw them in Jacksonville with Robin. We had like fourth row seats. We had like killer seats, you know. Wow. And it was awesome. But yeah, when they fire those guns, you can feel it. The bass thud in your chest. Yeah. It kind of takes your breath away and it's amazing you know um, I also saw them on the Black Eyes tour and that was that was the last time I, I saw them but you know here's the thing Angus was always so young when they did 74 Jailbreak he was still a teenager you know mm-hmm. so fast forward another 17 years you know he's in his mid 30s in 1991, 1992. He's still a young man. We're used to at this point, and the other guys in the band were in their 40s. And of course, at this point, you know, we're used to, okay, yeah, the Who are in their 40s, the Stones are in their 40s. And now, at this point in our lives, we're used to our rock heroes being in their 60s, 70s, or dead, um, you know. But Angus was still a pretty young man back then and still able to run around crazy like that on stage. And it was, man, it was. it's always been a good show. But I, I just feel like they captured something there because even if you did a great tour in like 1988 or 1986 or 7, whatever your new record was at the time wasn't that great. Right. But Razor's Edge was great. And on the double live... There are five songs from the new record on there to go along with the classic Brian Johnson's and the classic Bon Scott. I just think it, it all fell together in a great moment in time for them. I think you're right. I think people would have shown up, even if they even if they told you, we're not going to play anything off, that's not off this record. I think people still would have shown up to the show because that, that record was that strong. And then to have the back catalog stuff too. And then, because I, I remember when I was a... When I was a kid, I would hear Highway to Hell, mm-hmm. and they would say, well, that's not the same guy. I'm like, it's, it's not, because it sounds... It's close. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the, he can do the old stuff, and just make yeah, just make it show that 
you would have, even if, yeah, okay, so it was the Donington show, even if it was just ACDC, you mm-hmm. still would have said that was fantastic. Yeah, I think you're right. It does help when you've got strong new material. And, and you're right, in 1991, ACDC was still a very viable band. It wasn't like, oh, you know, they're trotting out again for their, you know, millionth time. Oh, right. this is our this is our farewell tour. I promise this time. Wink. No, I mean, they, this was still, they were on MTV. They were on the radio. This was a huge tour. That was the best thing they'd done in 10 years. Look, Highway to Hell was huge for them. Bon mm-hmm. Scott's last album, obviously. But the first one, produced by Mutt Lang. Mutt Lang, of course, who went on to fame and fortune working with Def Leppard and his wife at the time, Shania Twain. And while we can him, you know, he was the ACDC Def Leppard guy. The Shania Twain, Britney Spears, that stuff is probably where he made a, a ton of money and, and continues to, I suppose. He's kind of a bit of a recluse. He's definitely a private guy. Yeah. But, you know, he did incredible work for Def Leppard and ACDC. So he took ACDC to a higher level on Highway to Hell. And then he was around for Back in Black, one of the number one selling albums of all time, top five in the world all time. And then he, he stuck around for those about to rock that was the next year in 1981. You figure in three years they made Highway to Hell back in black and for those about to rock while losing their lead singer. That's kind of unbelievable. Obviously there's going to be some kind of drop off at some point. And even for those about to rock didn't sell nearly as well as back in black. But that one song alone is obviously a classic. Correct. I often consider, I tell my wife, that's me all the time. Are you rocking? I'm about to rock. Okay, <laughs> so just give me a minute here. But yeah, I, I can't even imagine, especially losing Bon Scott, who was such a... Ang- Angus is always going to be the anchor, but I mean, he was just the, the, the front man of front men. There's a great Top of the Pops or something like that mm-hmm. that, that they played on where they played Long Way to the Top. Yeah, And it was one of those deals where it was pre-recorded and you can tell it's pre-recorded, but Bon Scott, if you listen carefully, is actually yelling louder than the backing track. He's actually saying, you can hear it like only that dude would say, you know what? I don't care what you say. I'm singing it anyway. So just a character. Oh, yeah. And then to have him pass away after you've, okay, we've made it. We've put out one of three or four records. The Highway to Hell is huge. We're go- He's dead. Uh-huh. we got to start all over again. Well, this is going to be, no, this is going to be even bigger. There's no way. There's just no way. I would I would bet you that's never happened ever anytime. I mean, if you part ways with somebody, that's one thing. But to have somebody die unexpectedly like that? Right. Yeah. It, yeah. And and it means there's no reconciliation, right? If if David Lee Roth leaves Van Halen, okay, you can hate Sammy Hagar and wait for the day that Dave comes back to the band. Correct. But when Bond dies, there's nowhere for you to go. You have to move on. You have to get right. somebody else. And Brian Johnson was a friend and fan of Bond Scott's. It's not like he wanted to replace him. He wanted Bond to go on, but that wasn't an option. So they said, look, you're the man for the job. Come in and do this. And Angus and Malcolm, along with Bond Scott, had written, for the most part, all of ACDC songs previous to Back in Black. So now Back in Black, they come in and like, okay, Brian, you're going to write with us, the two of us. And, you know, I've told you about the great podcast, The Rock on Tours with Gary Kemp and and Guy Pratt. Yes. They had Brian Johnson on a, a couple weeks back. He's always a fantastic interview just seems like salt of the earth great guy 
Never seen him any other way over the years. But it was kind of, they were joking about it. So, because he didn't really, he was in another band, you know, who's been in Top of the Pops, maybe weren't so huge. Was it Jordy? I can't remember the name of the band. Yeah, I think it was called Jordy, yeah. Jordy, yeah. And, and, you know, so they had some songs, but I guess he didn't write them. So they were kind of joking with him, like, so, Brian, was the first song you ever wrote back in black? He's like, no, the first song I ever wrote was You Shook Me All Night Long. <laughs> you got <laughs> to be kidding me. There is no bigger rock and roll hard rock anthem than you shook me all night long. And again, you hear that opening chord, and everyone around the world knows what it is. And I remember reading a review, it may have been for this album 30 years ago in something like Rolling Stone, it's like, You Shook Me All Night Long is still four of the most exciting minutes in rock and roll. And you're right, when they play that live, everyone goes nuts. And that's the first song you ever wrote? Oh my that's goodness. Like, that's like, you know, I, I've never played professional baseball before, but I'm going to, you know, World Series Game 7, walk off, home run, win the game. I mean, that's yeah, that's insane that that's what you came up with. It wasn't like, oh yeah, it was some song we never even used. Yeah, you've never heard it before. Yeah, no. Boom. Home run. Drops the mic. What else you got? Well, I don't know. Maybe back in black next. It's like he hit a grand slam and there wasn't even anyone on base. It's like, how did you even do that? It's unbelievable, you know. And of course, I love Back in Black. Love the whole album. Listen to it back and forth and sideways any way that I can, you know. And so they three basically wrote all the songs throughout the '80s with various degrees of success. And you know, it, who made who? Like you said, it was it was part of the soundtrack to the Stephen King movie, where some kind of was it a asteroid or something came too close to the earth and it caused all the machines to not only become intelligent but also murderously evil and wanted to kill all the people right so that's correct yeah so (laughs) premise of some of Stephen King's movies are more believable than others I love The Stand you know um, which kind of makes some sense in the era we live in right now but uh, the the maximum overdrive uh, was kind of like yeah, a meteor made all the cars want to kill us. <laughs> and ATM machines. Or yeah. no, uh, Coke machines, too. I think it was one of those deals where it was like in 19, what was that, 86? Mm-hmm. Pretty much if Stephen King wrote it, give it to me. I don't right. care what it is, we'll make it. Yeah, that was, it, and the crazy part about that is it's that and that truck with the Green Goblin face on it. Mm-hmm. If it didn't have those things, you wouldn't even remember that movie was around. And I, for the life of me, I don't know how they got ACDC to do that. I mean, I can see Iron Man because they've got a ton of cash right. to throw around, but I don't know who made this movie. I mean, Emilio Estevez was in it as yeah. the star. I don't know how those two things happened. But And then, then that's another good point, too, that I'm bringing up. The, the Iron Man movies have mm-hmm. brought, you know, Shoot the Thrill was in there. And that's I think that just brings it up again when people are like, hey, wait a minute, I love those songs. Let's go again. I mean, they just, they're just timeless. That's right. You know, and, but who, who made who was the new song, really? Right. There's a couple of instrumentals on there that may have been uh, new, but then the rest of them were like, you know, they pull a couple from Fly on the Wall, which wasn't, you know, my favorite. They got Shook Me All Night Long in Hell's Bells for those about to rock on there. Also, Sink the Pink. I have no idea what that might be be about mm-hmm. um, interesting, interesting. Uh, but so yeah so it's like it's nine tracks and it has a couple of greatest hits but it's pretty far from a greatest hit but you know you get that one song on there blow up your video had 
Heat Seeker. The rest of the album wasn't their best, but that Heat Seeker song was pretty good and was a pretty big hit for them, you know, in the 1988 or whenever that came out. So they continued to plot along. They, they would make something every couple years or so. They'd be able to do a big tour. They'd get one decent song, maybe a couple. Again, hardcore ACDC fans, I know we're, we're not going to go through every song on every album, and I know there's more gems that maybe weren't released, there always are, and maybe we can have one of you on sometime to talk about all that. But we're trying to talk about the live album, and what's represented on the live album is a lot of good Bon Scott stuff, Razor's Edge, Back in Black, and then a few sprinkled in from along the, the 80s era. Yeah, and, and the one disc does a good job of kind of consolidating everything. I'm just looking through the tracks right now. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got Dirty Deeds, Done Dirt Cheap, which is a great Bon Scott song, whole lot of Rosie, that's fantastic. And then I think that was the big the big problem that I had going back to Who Made Who it was like oh it's greatest hits well, if you don't have Bon Scott songs on there it's not a greatest hit so this this was now uh, incorporating that it's live so the fact that it's Brian Johnson's voice mm-hmm. is okay because you know it's not going to sound the same anyway and then yes the two disc goes into a into more of the gems on here and I'm trying to see if there's anything. Uh, there's really not anything that I don't recognize on here. No, no. On the on the second one, so it's pretty cool. And then it's cool that they start with Thunderstruck because that's fantastic. And then how are we going to end this up? Might as well just go for, for those about to rock because you haven't had enough already. We're just going to pound you into the ground with this last song. And I can imagine that people just kind of drag themselves out of that <laughs> out of that castle like. Uh, I can't take it anymore. I know. I was like, woo, that's a long <laughs> day, you know, absolutely. So, but it, it's good that, you know, look, on the on the one disc set that we have, you got the Bon Scott, you got TNT, Highway to Hell, Whole Lot of Rosie, which is a fun, fun live song, Dirty Deeds, and The Jack. I remember distinctly us listening to The Jack, man. We're in yeah. our room. We're listening to The Jack. Hattie and Caroline come in. They're kind of coming dancing and grinding. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe only dudes don't like ACDC. Maybe this is a girl's like ACDC too, you know. <laughs> I, I think, and, and that's that's an interesting point because there are people who have a hard time with the ACDC lyrics. Mm-hmm. If you listen, there's a lot of what could be construed as misogynistic, but uh, certainly puerile, sophomoric. And, and and that's Angus's deal. It's like, listen, we're just here to have a good time. I mean, come on, big balls. Have you listened to that? That's, right. They're they're just fooling around. So I, I think you're right. I think there are there are there is a good contingent of women who like ACDC songs. I don't think anybody's here to make them feel uncomfortable i think that it's just great and you hear that i mean why were you doing that because you heard that beat and you're like well mm-hmm. i know what this i know what's supposed to happen during this beat. yes <laughs> right. you do. thank you i'm gonna come in and yes yeah, you yeah, make a man out of you little boy yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then the two disker you, you throw in stuff like Sin City you know which I didn't know that well it's like oh that's nice when they throw in Jailbreak and it goes on right almost 15 minutes of Jailbreak yeah um, that's killer High Voltage High Voltage is a good song from the Bon Scott it's definitely era. a Bon Scott era song and you know they do it for 10 and a half minutes Let There Be Rock great old song you know from Bon Scott killer they do that for more than 12 minutes the old Bonnie song which is, is kind of a traditional uh, about yeah. Scotland. So 
it's, it's Bonnie, but it's also about Bon Scott if it's called Bonnie, you know. So I don't know if that was something that he did live often or sometimes, but the fact that they did it for him and this was recorded in Glasgow, that particular track, uh, makes it kind of special. Well, and that's a good point too, because even though ACDC is technically, quote unquote, from Australia, they're all, all the youngs are Scottish. Mm-hmm. And so was Bon Scott. And then they all emigrated, Johnson, right? I'm sorry. They all emigrated to Australia. Yeah, it was. I read a story where it was like they they had the Youngs had like nine kids or something, right? And then in there was a there was one winter in in Scotland where it was like you know they had twenty eight feet of snow or something ridiculous, and there was an ad in the paper that Australia was offering some kind of financial incentives for people to move there, right? And old man Young just said, "All right, we're packing up, we're out of here because this is." I can't take this anymore. So yeah, they were. There's always that. Oh, you know, they were cool for they were from Australia. Eh, not really from Australia. Yeah, right. Phil Rudd, I think, may have been Australian, or at least born there. But uh, but he wasn't on this one. You know, that was Chris Slade of the Firm, and eventually Asia fame because we work Asia into every show. <laughs> but I mean, you know, like you say, big engine. You need somebody badass behind there keeping that beat and beating those drums to make this engine go for ACDC for these big shows. And you're right, Rob Halford hadn't shaved his head at that point. You know, Pete, you were holding on to your hair whatever right. you've got in the early 90s because there's two rules. Can't lose your hair and you can't get fat. And as long as you don't do those two things, you can continue to be a rock star. Well, so people held on to their hair, but he's like, well, I don't have any anyway, so I'm going to shave it. And he kind of looked like the guy from the Road Warrior or, you know, the dudes from Weird Science that come in yeah. and take over the party. Like, he reminded me of those guys. Well, yeah, because he didn't have, if I remember correctly, like he didn't have a beard or anything. Like he was just totally just Mr. Clean Balls. And yeah, like it was striking to see like, ah, what happened to that guy? Right. At that point in time, everybody, even if you were holding on by a straw, you still had some kind of hair, comb over. No offense to Mr. Brian Johnson, but he's always got his Andy Cap hat on. So uh, yeah. Or the edge always has, you know, like some kind of bandana or half hat on it's like i know Correct. why you're wearing that you're <laughs> not, not to be a jerk anyone. but i yes. know why <laughs> <laughs> so what i mean what was your favorite from from it i mean having thunderstruck and then having it live that's great but it's like I, I just bought that album like a year or two before what was your favorite off of it yeah i think i don't know i think i really like highway to hell only because it was. It was. I had never heard it live before. Mm-hmm. Um, it. It was. It was now ten, eleven years old at that point. In Almost time. So, fifteen. Yeah. 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 So I mean, that was that was cool, and to hear him do that was really cool. Um, you're right, Thunderstruck. It, that it's fantastic. But it's it was relatively new, right. so to hear the older stuff was pretty cool. I mean, there's pretty much. I mean, when you look at that, the the 14 tracks on the one disc deal, there really aren't any losers. No. I mean, it's just it starts and it never stops, and it is cool to to hear the other, the other part that was kind of cool too. I would say almost the Jack, mm-hmm. only because of the story you mentioned before and the fact that I really hadn't heard it before. So it was like, Oh, this is new. Like the rest of the stuff I'd I'd heard a million times. I mean, there wasn't anything on there that was, that was new except for that. So it's like, Oh, they've got other cool songs also. And I think that probably went into then, well, let's get some of this other stuff and listen to it. And I think that's really why we're here is get a little peek at something and say, well, if you like that, here's something else. And then it leads you down that road. I'm with you there. Yeah. And the the Jack was special for, for those reasons. I liked I liked whole lot of Rosie because I didn't know the song very well, and you know, in years since it's become a very favorite ACDC song of mine. Not to mention on the video, we were in the era of big blow up dolls, like the Stones had the two big blow up dolls 
for Honky Tonk mm. Women, and Rush had the big rabbits left over from the Presto tour. Oh, right. And ACDC had Rosie in all her fit glory blown up behind the drum riser there in the video. I believe, I believe the term now is thick. <laughs> thick? Yes. Is that the politically yeah. correct term? It's, that yeah. is correct, okay. yes. But yeah, but it, but even still, that that's a really cool ACDC riff. Oh yeah, and then you know, and then and then it's cool because you know it's the I'm gonna tell you a little story. <laughs> yeah, it's it one of those ones too. Probably I hadn't heard that much, and so yeah, the the old I would say probably the older catalog stuff was my favorite, only because you know Back in Black is burned into my psyche. Right. I've heard yeah. all those songs a million times. You know, Hell's Bells, and then Who Made Who wasn't that old at that point in time so yeah i definitely like the older stuff better but shoot the thrill i liked a lot it's off back in black but it's great because it's, it's got the big heavy riff but then in the middle they kind of they pull it back a little bit right they slow it down you've just got the that, that sparse that sparse angus guitar mm, yeah mm, 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 and they start building it back up and then shoot you and he's, yeah. he's jamming it like that's great and like that's the second song they follow up thunderstruck with shoot the thrill that's pretty big time and then I actually, I liked Heat Seeker. I, I remember when Heat Seeker came out, the video came out. We were in high school. Like, okay, yeah, that's ACDC. Because it's, it's a short song, right? It's three and a half minutes long. It's like, come yeah. in, hit you in the face. Heat Seeker. It just kind of fit in well. I, I remember just enjoying being able to listen to all this stuff. I also love TNT. It was doing, oi, oi, oi. It's fantastic live. It's so much fun live because the whole audience is doing that during that. You know, they, they might sing TNT, but they're all really going, oi, oi. It's and the fun. other cool, the other cool thing too is it, uh, a lot of these songs, they, it, it's not that it's hard to pick out, but they announce what's going on. Like mm -hmm. I know like, you know, Back in Black, Johnson says, okay, now we're going to do Back in Black for you. So you kind of have that, like you get into the, I know what's happening next. There's no like, hey, which one is this? And so that's pretty cool. And yes, you can sing along to all of these things. And I can only imagine that at the end of this show, the band has just got to be spent because, I mean, there's no there's no ballad. They have no like, <laughs> oh, we're just going to take here's our freeform jazz exploration. It's full throttle the entire time. Yeah. You know, and on the double album, which, again, would have been a no brainer for me today. But, you know, they throw in Fire Your Guns, second song off Razor's Edge. They do the Razor's Edge, which is maybe the slowest song they do. It, it's a little more plodding than it is mm -hmm. super heavy riff, but glad it's on there. You know, Are You Ready, also from the new album, Razor's Edge, you know, that was... But yeah, you, you've put it all together, whether it's the 14-song version or the 23, 22-plus Bonnie, you know, song version. It showcases ACDC at the top of their game, probably in the best shape they were in as a band, and back to the top, at least the the charts even if they were always a huge touring act throughout the mid and late 80s now they're back on top of the world where they ought to be and you know ever since whenever they want to do an album whether it's ball breaker or you know the new one power up which just came out six months ago they still sound exactly like acdc it gives them an excuse to go out and play all their old classics have the big bell come down, have the cannons fire off on For Those About to Rock, mix in all the, the classics, and yeah, do a few new songs. You know what you're going to get, and it's awesome. And I like the fact, too, I don't know what Johnson's medical condition was that, that caused him. He had something to do with deafness. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the deal was, but he's back now. They've got Phil Rudd back in the band. So if you get the chance, this is probably going to be it, I would think. So if yeah. you've got a chance to go see them when they, when they can 
tour again, I would definitely recommend that. But they've kissed and made up with Phil Rudd, so that's that'll work. I and I don't know how I feel about that because I really like Chris Slade in the band, but mm-hmm. Rudd is the he's. I think when Phil Rudd was born, the doctor said to his mother, "Congratulations, you have a metronome." Yeah, because he just is. I mean, he is the ultimate pocket drummer. He's on it. A, yeah. yeah, there was a cool story. Uh, Brian Johnson was telling about. I think it was Back in Black and with Mutt Lang, and they were recording something, and the tape got messed up. Couldn't use it, and Mutt is kicking things around, and he's all mad. Well, what's the problem? He's like, "Well, that that was awesome. We'll never get that back again." And Rudd's like, "Give me a minute." And he just laid it down exactly the same way. And even Mutt Lang said, I can't even, there's nobody can do that like that. And he's like, and Johnson's like, this guy can't. He is, he's a machine on the drums. So it's cool. He had some legal problems. That's been taken care of. Yeah. We're back on the road now. Uh, unfortunately, Malcolm Young is no longer with us. But apparently Stevie Young does a pretty good job of filling in for him. So this is as close to the highway to hell, back in black mm-hmm. lineup as you're going to get ever again. Yeah, I mean, imagine you're a kid, Stevie Young, and you're growing up and your uncles are Malcolm and Angus Young, man. That's that's unbelievable. Of course, you learn how to play all that stuff. Every kid in Australia does. You can do it sitting at their feet. Glad Brian's back in the band. All, all due respect to Axel. I'm not going to go see that. You know, I, I'm not dying to see Guns N' Roses, uh, but I really don't want to see Axel do ACDC. I want to see Brian Johnson do it. So, you know, and Cliff retired and then unretired. Like, Cliff yeah. was like, I'm done. And he's like, okay, we've got another number one album around the world. And it did power up, went number one all over the planet. Yeah. In November, it's it's after 50 years, they still go to number one everywhere. And I got it. You know, I picked it up or maybe Santa Brandt brought it to me. I can't remember, but I put it on now and then, not for nostalgia reasons, because I want to hear something new but familiar. And it sounds like ACDC. The, the other fact of the matter, I, I, Malcolm helped write those songs. Like he was sick for a while, but he he helped write those songs. So this was mm-hmm. not just like we, we're going to continue on without him. It's like, no, Malcolm contributed to this and we want his work to get what it deserves we want the people to hear it you know because the change they made for the razor's edge was a angus and malcolm stopped producing the records mutt left after for those about to rock then malcolm and angus produced for a while then they went back to george their brother um it was at harry vanda or something like that i think so yeah producing the record and brian didn't write for razor's edge it was just malcolm and angus which is interesting because they they did great with the two of them and Bond. They did very well in the early 80s with the two of them and Brian. But I guess Brian's like, okay, I'll step out and just sing. And Malcolm and Angus delivered in a big time on the Razor's Edge. Took them back to the top where they belong and they've never really been away since. I'm actually not a huge fan. If you look at every album that's ever produced by the artist, more of it, I mean, pe- people get paid to be producers for a reason. You mm-hmm. need to have somebody in there at least to say, you know what, I'm not seeing this. I'm seeing something else. Or this is done. Stop. We can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's cool that they switched over to have a to have a real producer because I think that you just kind of stir the pot when you're producing your own stuff. You can't. You kind of you're too close to it. You you need an objective third party. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, and especially when you work with someone like Mutt, who's kind of a taskmaster. You know, he's, yes. he's like, do it again, do it again, famously, yeah. do it again, do it again. Okay, you're close, do it again. You know, all right, ready, one, two, three. You know, do it. Eat. That's who <laughs> Mutt Lang is because he can hear it in his head until yeah. you get it. I think David Foster might be the same way. It's like until you get it the way it sounds in here, you got to do it again until it's right. Yeah, right. You're right. These guys, they hear it in their head and it's just not, you might be 98%, but 98 is not 100. Do it again. Right. And if you sell 50 million copies, 
and your Mutt Lang, you can see, I told you. Right. That's exactly right. So that's pretty cool. The other cool thing too about this new this new record, Power Up, is that I told you that uh, Angus Young uses the same guitar over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Gibson has put out, and he plays it at least in the video, a Angus Young custom SG with the lightning bolts in the fret inlays, and it looks awesome. Candy apple red with the lightning bolts. It's fantastic looking. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it, it really is cool. If I could play, I would buy one. I, I think it's a waste for me, someone like me, <laughs> to get something like that. Um, if I was any good, I would I would go ahead and get it, but um, but no. So maybe we'll get to see them one more time, or I guess for you would be your first and last maybe, man. Correct. We'll, we'll see yeah. what happens. For me, it would be a fourth, but I would willingly go. And I was lucky that all three shows I had good to great seats. I was in the floor all three times. And that one time with Rob, we were so close. It was, it was fantastic. It was it was so cool. And I was hot. The lights that are on the singer and, and up on the front of the stage are on you as well, right? It's not okay. just on the stage. You know, it bleeds into the first rows. So those lights are hot on you, man. Not to mention we're in Florida. It's kind of hot anyway. And then I'm head banging with Rob up there. And I was just remember, gosh, I'm glad I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt. Those guys in jeans must be sweating it out up there. And I can only imagine what the what the crew has to go through to put those guitars and everything back together. I mean, if you were sweating, imagine the imagine the band just sweating into these instruments. Okay, now I gotta go out and like clean this thing out, make sure that nothing's fried out on the inside. Yeah, that's a that's a lot of work to do to put that show on. But it's worth it, man. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, thanks once again for tuning in to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock podcast, folks. I hope you enjoyed listening to our take on ACDC Live. And I hope that if you've never seen ACDC, you really make the effort Take the opportunity in 2021 or 2022 or whenever we're going to be able to see live concerts again. I guarantee you they want to tour. They want to show power up. Don't miss it because it might just be the last time and it's a heck of a lot of fun. It's a great show and I'll go see them if you will. Next week we go back to our Prague roots. We're going to go deep dive into Selling England by the Pound, the 1973 album by Genesis that some people say is their best ever and it's not one we knew growing up. It's one that we've come into lately as we've come to appreciate the greatness of Steve Hackett and the progginess of early Genesis from the 70s. When we speak about a little bit on episodes 5 and 6 where we do deep dive on Steve Hackett and Genesis, we're going to go song by song and talk about selling England by the pound in depth. So until then, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? You have to tell us. Let us know what you want to hear about. Tweet us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. Until next time, rock and rollers all over the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 